You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM with my good self Sharon Noonan. Tonight I have a lovely lineup of guests as always. First up I'm going to be talking to Chef Vincenzo from the George Boutique Hotel in Limerick City. Food and wine writer Leslie Williams will be giving us an insight into sherry and explaining why we should consider it as an alternative to wine, especially during the summer. I'll be congratulating food writer Barbara Collins on the success of her book, The Taste of Ulster Restaurants Guide in the World Gourmand Cookbook Awards. And finally, towards the end of the show, I'll be talking to Johnny Lynch from McCroom Buffalo Mozzarella, who has the only milking herd of buffalo in Ireland. To get in touch with me here on the show, please feel free to drop me an email s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. But first, let's welcome Chef Vincenzo and his daughter Alana to the best possible taste studio. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I'm in the studio now. I've been joined by Vincenzo. Vincenzo, am I saying it right? Vincenzo and Alana, both Italian, as you can tell by the names. And you want to see the food that is in front of me. Vincenzo, you're so good to bring this all in. It's a pleasure. You have the Italian restaurant in the George Hotel in Limerick City. You're from Naples originally. Yeah, Napoli, Pompeii, yeah. So you grew up with a love of food. Yes, I see the 70% of the time in Italy we spend in the kitchen with our mommy, our grandmother, cooking, you know, look at them and take inspiration from them. Now, tell me about some of the food that you've brought in. There's a lovely antipasto platter We have uh, our um, antipasto board to share that we serve to Da Vincenzo in Limerick. It's an old uh, best of the cold cut from Italy. We have a salami from Napoli, prosciutto di Parma, yes, right there. Prosciutto di Parma from uh, north of Italy, bresaola from Valtellina with a parmesan chef on top, a rocky salad. And then we have uh, all green olives marinated here in our restaurant with olive oil extra virgin uh, and herbs. And then we have our three kinds of cheese. We have gorgonzola from Milano, taleggio and pecorino cheese. And then we have our homemade focaccia. See, there we have uh, a style, Naples style pizza that we may call our focaccia or our bread. So there's a few different meats here, the salami, the braziola, the parma ham. Yes. Just explain the difference between those three different okay. meats. The, I've just had some of the salami there. The salami is uh, is from south of Italy, Napoli. Is uh, Usually people used to make the pizza, but this salami is high quality and we use on the board like as antipasto. Uh, it's, um, it's a pig. It's, uh, it's, an, it's, a pig, it's pig meat. Then we have the braziola that is the high quality cold meat. You see, a, there is no fat at all. It's done with the fillet of beef and air dry and then uh, eat a date in Italy especially the people do ski and cycling is very very healthy served with the rocket salad the parmesan cheese on top it's right there we recommend a squeeze a little bit of lemon on top and it's fantastic Lovely, the parmesan's delicious. And then we have our prosciutto, prosciutto di Parma, is a deluxe product that you find on the shop here, also in Ireland. But what's the difference between us and the other shop or other restaurant? Because we get the prosciutto, the brezzale, the salami, a big piece, and then we cut ourselves, like in Italian deli shop. For that, the freshness of the salami or the prosciutto, the brezzale is still there. And there's no preservative on it, because when you cut it, that you put on this packet, you know, uh, it has preservative in it, and, and the, ch- the taste change. So this isn't Parma ham. This Parma. It is Parma. Prosciutto di Parma, sì. Because their Parma ham has to come from a certain part of Italy yes. for it to be called Parma ham. Parma, sì. Emilia, that, that's that's region there. Emilia Romagna and uh, close to Trentino, that area there, Parma. And we have uh, we order everything on the Monday. We get the Tuesday the week after. We have a uh, logistic already organized for our product. You can see also the taleggio come from Italy. That's a uh, cow cheese. Then you have pecorino. That's a goat. Uh, goat milk cheese. This is the taleggio. That's, the, that's okay. I'm going to have a taste of it. Okay. Okay. And then we have the gorgonzola from Milano. Gorgonzola is our blue cheese. People love it. We make also some nice pasta of the day, sometime with the gorgonzola cream. That's beautiful. It's so creamy. Thanks. That's the taleggio. It's so creamy. And uh, also the pickles we make here, we make our own pesto dip. That's uh, on the side there, the green. Now tell me about this, because this is a bit unusual. I haven't seen this before. Is this um, courgette? 
Das Courgette, und dann haben wir ein bisschen Onions inside, Beetroot, and cauliflower. cauliflower too, ist ein Mix of Vegetables. Just to break the, you know, the taste of the cheese and the cold meat. And there is the pesto there that's amazing. In the future, we're also going to sell our own pesto, our own sauce. This, the pesto? With the pesto dressing, yeah. We make fresh in, fresh in our restaurant. I'm going to dip some of your lovely focaccio into it. This is all delicious. The listeners will be very jealous now if they saw this. Mmm. Lovely. So you mentioned the cheeses there, but you've also brought a pizza. Yeah, that's a, I brought to you today our uh, skinny pizza. Okay, our pizza to Da Vincenzo is done like a really traditionally Naples pizza style. The pizza is born in Naples many, many years ago, and we keep like it was born. But the difference, something that nobody has it, I think in Europe, I brought a recipe that it was my treat on Tuesday and Thursday, whole meal pizza. You can come to Da Vincenzo, have a regular pizza, double zero, but you can also have all meal. That's the healthy choice of the pizza. It, uh, right in front of you, you have our skinny pizza that's done a margarita classic with the buffalo mozzarella. That's another thing that's very important. We get the buffalo mozzarella from Italy every week, and we only use buffalo mozzarella. Buffalo mozzarella is the, the, milky, mo the milky mozzarella, very high quality. Right in the middle, you have a masculine salad with the balsamic, balsamic reduction right on top. This pizza is around 400 calories or less. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I mean, because it's a massive pizza and it's very tasty. I just had a mm. piece of it there. So the base is completely different from the traditional Yeah, it's pizza done with base. all milk flour. Wow. But the same process as you do the pizza in Napoli, mm. in Italy. Lovely. And our pizza delicious. oven is amazing. The first day when I came up to the George, uh, Mr. Rocher, Ronan, showed me the pizza oven. I was a little bit skeptic because, you see, in Naples we do, I said, how can I make him the pizza like in Italy with this pizza oven? Then I got my uh, Salvatore app that is, uh, was my uh, college friend on hotel manager school. I got him up here to make pizza. And now he's with us for a couple of days to try to see how we're going. going. We bought already the product from Italy. And then we, after two days, the pizza was like in Italy. I was so, so happy. I said, oh, it's really. Because, you know, in Italy, when you see a pizza, when you want the wood, you know. But our pizza one is exactly the same. The only thing is with the gas. But the pizza come exactly the same, authentic. That is a delicious pizza now. It's absolutely delicious. And you mentioned the balsamic reduction there. Balsamic and you've, reduction. you've brought in some balsamic yeah, vinegar. Yeah, I brought you uh, olive oil extra virgine from uh, Italy. The peperoncino, the olive oil with a little bit of peperoncino is nice for the pizza, the balsamic vinegar. When you come to Da Vincenzo, you find these three products on the table, you know. Usually we don't really serve butter in Italy, but if somebody asks, we give it. Uh, but uh, we serve the olive oil with the balsamic. You can dip your bread inside, have your old Italian experience. And you you can put on top of your pizza because he, uh, the pizza is very very light we put some olive oil but you can add some more especially the spicy one it's very very nice and then you have another savory dish here see that's we uh, we i'm very proud to talk about our artisan bread you see in limerick we brought one dishes that's uh, used uh, down in south of italy napoli it's called saltimbocca but this one uh, we call here in our in our da vincenzo artisan panini uh, artisan panini we have the magic five they are done with different feeling we have a set of bello mare sorrento diplomatico and then um, the one in front of you is uh, with the ham that's how also come from Italy is a cooked ham low on sodium you can see it's not very very salty no it's not no. Uh, we make in daily basis and at lunchtime they are very very popular at the moment and they also can be made in wholemeal bread it came, they come served with the rocket sad and parmesan cheese it's a lunch at his own you know and people it is, are yeah it's very substantial yeah very substantial it can be made also in wholemeal bread When somebody come in, we change the concept a little bit of the panini that you have here. When you have a panini here around, you get the French baguette. But this one is very light, mm -hmm. it's fresh made. So, you know, you have all this beautiful buffalo mozzarella, this rock, this uh, fresh salad, ripe beef tomato, a spread of my aioli sauce that we're gonna, in the future, we're gonna sell in our shop. Uh, and then you have different feeling. This one is with the cooked ham. Then we're gonna have with the mil chicken milanese we have. Then we have with this beautiful gouda cheese that's come from Canticlair. Then I have a parma ham, prosciutto di parma. And then we have a tuna too, because a lot of people here like tuna. I import tuna can from Italy that they're famous all around the world. 
and you can find also them on the shop on sale. So you source lots of the ingredients Every, from Italy. From Italy, the, all, everything is Italian. We source ourselves because it's no point to go through somebody else. If not, we cannot give this fantastic value that we give to Da Vincenzo. And then we, we tested the product, or every week we test new one. We have uh, two persons that they help us on the logistic down in Italy, and I make my order Monday. I get them on Tuesday. Now, no Italian meal would be right if you weren't finishing off with a tiramisu. Tiramisu, yeah. Tell me what's in your tiramisu. Oh, tiramisu. The word tiramisu in Italy means pick me up, you know. We have a ladyfinger, like the tradition that we do in Italy, ladyfinger biscuit. I dip them on espresso, on a coffee liqueur. Then after I prepare my mascarpone with the cream inside, I give a little bit of twist, I mean, a little bit lighter on, uh, on mascarpone with a little bit more cream. And then we leave it settled on the fridge and chocolate powder when you serve. That's delicious now. It's not too strong. The coffee flavour isn't yeah. very strong in it, which I find sometimes with tiramisu, the coffee flavour can be a bit overpowering. Yeah, that's when you dip the ladyfinger. You don't really need to dip too much because you need when you put on the fridge, the ladyfinger still absorb the cream and it's still, uh, you know, and then it gets even softer and the coffee is going, you know. is. Uh, and if you're not a tiramisu lover and, look, I mean, who isn't? There is a can... can no, what's cannoli. It? Cannoli. I always want to call it cannelloni, but it's cannoli. No, we have a cannelloni in the restaurant, but unfortunately uh, I couldn't bring it today. Yeah, now, whenever you told me that you had this with you, I thought of The Godfather. Yes. <laughs> because one of the characters in it is given one of these at the opera, and I think it's poisoned, actually, but this is not poisoned. But is <laughs> tell, me, tell me what's in this. There's okay, the cannoli is uh, original. Cannoli is done in Italy. We do with ricotta cheese. We use 70% of ricotta and then cream. But we twist a little bit this recipe. It's original cannoli. We made ourselves. Also, the, the corn. It takes almost one day to prepare because you need to make the corn, leave them settled, you know, fry them. And then inside you have this beautiful ricotta. And then you have a cream. And choc uh, we call uh, goccia di cioccolato, drop of chocolate, and then you have orange candied. It's incredible, Vincenzo. It's delicious. And such a clever way of presenting it there with some of the cream underneath it so it doesn't wobble There's around a movie, yeah. the place. <laughs> now, you brought Alana with you. Alana is eight, turning nine in October. Do you do any cooking at home, Alana? Um, I cook a bit of scrambled eggs at home for my sister. What about Italian cuisine? Has your father passed you on any tips or recipes for it? Um, not really, but sometimes I'd help him get the ingredients. I'm sure, Vincenzo, you do plan to, to hand down some of the recipes that your grandmother has handed down to oh, you. Oh, yes, certainly. We do pa lots of pasta home, pizza. Actually, to Da Vincenzo, we, we plan to organise some kids' class for pizza. Oh, fantastic. It's a class, uh, we plan to lunch. And beside that, also in the Da Vincenzo, we have the wine. We have almost 200 Italian wine in my restaurant, uh, all sourced in Italy, a different region. But in Da Vincenzo, we have a different way of serving wine. We take you in Italy in a wine fly. What's a wine fly? We take, uh, you fly to Italy without an airfare. You come to Da Vincenzo, you have a different class of wine, economy, premium and business and then you have the deluxe one you come there you can pick a glass of wine you say I want a glass of wine you can split this glass of wine in three, three wine and you can explore different region that's our wine fly we give you a small tag with wine that when you come back the next time you can buy that bottle that you like it and you can start to experience different wine because sometimes people stick always with the same wine because they didn't have they didn't give the chance to have the choice of it but like these we uh, we believe that people can experiment more wine it's also a fun way in a socialized event and as a socialized way to do it between friends you know Fantastic. Well, listen, congratulations on your Thanks. new venture in the George Boutique Hotel in Limerick City Centre. And uh, be sure to let us know now about the kids' classes for the pizza and we'll give it a shout out here on the programme. Oh, certainly. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks to Vincenzo and Alana and that was some feast that was presented to me there. All delicious so if you're in the mood for an Italian be sure to check out his restaurant in the George Hotel in Limerick City. After that I've certainly worked up a thirst so it's a good job I have food and wine writer Leslie Williams lined up as my next guest. Unfortunately on the phone so no samples to enjoy but I've no doubt it will be a thirst quenching conversation all about sherry. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Leslie, you're very welcome to the show this evening. Thank you, Sharon. Now, sherry is something that I think 
when you say sherry to somebody, would you like a sherry? They're thinking, look, I'm not 80 years of age and I'm not interested in that Harvey's Bristol cream there. But sherry is so much more than that, I believe. It is, it is. And I would maintain that sherry is the perfect summer drink. Now, I'm not talking about Harvey's Bristol cream, although actually put some ice in it and some uh, tonic or something like this and you could make cocktails. There's, there's a number of sherry cocktails you can make from the sweeter styles. But no, I'm mostly talking about dry white wine styles. Uh, and the classic being tea of Pepe. That would be the, the sort of most typical one which you'd find in, in most supermarkets, to be honest. Um, where does it come from? What country so, okay, does well, it come I'll from? I'll explain a little. So it, it's, 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 I mean, it's a white wine from Spain, okay, southern Spain, specifically around the town of Jerez, which is near Cadiz. Which is in the, if you move along the coast from Malaga and uh, along further towards Portugal, you hit um, Jerez first and then you'd hit Cadiz. So the main town is Jerez, and that's where the likes of Harvey's are based. Um, and then there's two other towns as well, San Luco de Barmeda and also Puerto de Santa Maria. But to be honest, they're, they're smaller, so I don't want to confuse people by, by making them think about those. Best to think of Jerez, which, you know, the word sherry comes from. Sherry, Jerez, the same, same thing, same root. And it's made out of grape then, if it's yeah, like so wine. The, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a standard grape wine, which has a small bit of brandy put into it. Uh, so the grape is Palomino, um, traditionally, although there's also another grape called Pedro Jimenez, which is sometimes used as well. Though more usually that's for sweet wines. So no, it's it just you, what they do is I mean, I'll, I'll just very simply explain it. It's, it's a standard white wine production. You pick the grapes over a couple of weeks, um, as would be normal, as they ripen in different places. You ferment the grapes into wine, into a dry white wine, usually coming in at about 11 percent. Okay, and that's it in a stainless steel tank, the way it would be for your New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc or any other white wine. Um, the difference is, before it's released, sherry is then fortified a little bit. Now, fortified just means to strengthen. So they, they put about 3 or 4% alcohol into it, bringing it up to 15%. 15% alcohol is the, is the magic figure of which it ages really, really well in barrels. Because sherry is unusual in that it is not, um, it is aged in barrels for a number of years before it's released. And this is what gives it its character. Now, the sherry that I'm talking about is, not, is a dry, dry, dry sherry. It's probably the driest wine in the world. So anyone who thinks I'm talking about a sweet wine, um, that's not correct. What makes it dry is the actual aging process. You've made a simple dry white wine, you've taken it from your stainless steel tank, and you now transfer it into barrel, okay? But first of all, you've got to empty the barrel because there's stuff in the barrel already. So let's just take it back a step. We want to sell some wine. You've ordered some wine from Sherry, uh, from Jerez, and what they do is they take wine from the barrel, the bottom barrel, and they take about two-thirds to three-quarters of that wine from the bottom barrel and the bottom shelf, the bottom layer of barrels, okay? Now, that's gone, and they've left some wine still in the barrel, okay? Now, they then fill that from the barrels on the shelf above, and then fill that from the barrel shelf ab- from the shelf above, and this is the Solera system, and this is how they gradually age the wine. And the brand-new wine goes from the stainless steel tank into the, into the top layer, okay? So that, won't, that wine, although it's gone in now, won't actually be drunk until about five years' time. It usually takes about five years to age the wine. So you just gradually age it and so even though a wine has been taken from a barrel today in theory there could be some wine left or some certainly some molecules left of a wine that was put in there maybe in 1825 when that Solera was first established and there are some Soleras that are that old and the Solera is just a system of aging sherry. Whenever you say wine there but you're moving the wine from here and there and up yeah. do you mean this is sherry this becomes yeah, it's, sherry? It's, 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 okay, it starts off as a, as a simple white wine. You add some brandy to fortify it up to 15% from 11, okay? And you then put it in a barrel. And it's aged in the barrel for five years. And gradually it's transferred from the barrels on the top shelf to the ones below, to the ones below, to the ones below. And then eventually it's, it's taken from the bottom barrels. And the, the idea is just to, to give it a character of the wine that it allows you consistency. And this was something that was actually done in, in the Rhine Valley and in, in, in other countries. Um, it was a way of, of, of keeping a wine consistent. It was a way of making sure that you constantly had a supply of wine by, by topping up the wine um, from the barrel as you released it so that it stayed fresh in the barrel. That was just, you know, bottles and stuff were not as reliable in those days. Okay, so it, it's, a, it's a simple dry white wine. It smells of, of baked bread and chamomile tea and 
um, and wine and grapes and citrus. Now, it, it is a stronger flavor than your standard white wine. It isn't to everybody's taste the first time they try it. But whenever I present this in wine tastings, there's always a few who go, my God, that smells paint stripper. And there's a few who go, my God, that's amazing. That's amazing. What is that? How can I, where can I get this? Okay. And it, it, it is incredibly cheap given the skills and the difficulty in making a wine like this. It takes five years to age, constant monitoring. Every barrel must be checked at least once every three months and checked and tasted. Um, and there could be 22,000 barrels there is in the Tia Pepe plant, for example. Every one of those barrels is checked every three months. Um, and yet it only costs about 15 euros, as little as 15 euros. Harvey's Bristol Cream you mentioned, well, Harvey's Fino, um, there's some Harvey's Fino available, as far as I know, in um, next door Raheen in Limerick, which he has at a tenner, I think it is. I think it's there anyway, um, which is, uh, it's a bin end, so it's probably was at its best last year, but it should still be fine. Fino ages much better than we give it credit for. When you open it, do you need to drink the whole bottle the way you would a bottle of wine? You have a little bit more leeway. It, you can, you can give, give it a week or two, okay, and keep it in the fridge when you're not, when you're not drinking it. It is served chilled, of course, as well. Um, but, I mean, you shouldn't leave it forever. It isn't something that you can, you know, drink now and then leave for a couple of months. It is, it is, you should treat it as a white wine, although it has a bit more stability than a standard white wine. Because um, I would suspect well, there would be a lot of bottles of sherry lurking in people's cupboards that are maybe just brought out at Christmas to be lashed into the, the trifle. Yeah, but they would be sweet ones. And, uh, you know, they, they actually do last quite well. I mean, <laughs> I'll admit something. Uh, my mum died uh, about a year ago, and uh, in the back of the cupboard when we were clearing the house, I found a bottle, I found a bottle of Harvey's Whistle Cream um, that was about five labels ago, okay, which means I reckon it dated from the early 80s, if not the 70s. Okay. Did you and have a little taste? Pardon? Yeah, no, you? I tasted it. It was actually okay. It had gone a little oxidised, but um, I used it for cooking. And I used a little bit. Of, I, I threw some into the into the trifle last Christmas. You know, um, it had a it had a slightly oxidised. Um, intense aroma but it actually was, it, it still had retained its sugar and some of its fruit some of its fruit was still there so it, it is a long age wine it generally does not improve in bottle though like that and I wouldn't necessarily recommend everybody to do that but you know I was uh, willing to take the risk and I certainly didn't, didn't, uh, didn't, didn't do me any harm because it's stronger than normal wine, it's you, you said it's around fourteen percent, which some well, wines fifteen, fifteen to seventeen. Now, if if I could just talk a little bit about the other style, because there's, there's more than Fina. So Fina is your absolute standard, simplest, driest cherry, and as it ages in the barrel, it, it sits underneath and a layer of yeast called flour, F-L-O-R, and that yeast is what stops it from oxidizing and going off. You never fill the barrel fully, and the wine sits under this lovely white, fluffy yeast, and um, it sits there for about five years, as I say, before, before you release it. Now, sometimes that yeast dies, and if that yeast dies, or if, if it's um, moved past its, its best, it's, it's, you know, after five or six years, it isn't at its best, you can then remove it from those barrels and age it separately, and it then becomes an amontillado, which is another style of sherry. Winter's Tale, people would know, that's called, that used to be called an amontillado. It isn't anymore because uh, amontillado is always dry. And what Winter's Tale is is a sort of a semi-sweet Amontillado. It has that nice sort of Amontillado colour, that sort of light tawny colour, but it's a dry wine. And this is probably um, one of the most interesting styles of wine. It smells of hazelnuts and, and uh, burnt caramel and things like this, but it's bone dry. So it smells sweet, but tastes completely dry. And served chilled again, it goes very well with, with food. And that's one style, Fino Amontillado, um, as I said. And then there's the other style, which is Oloroso, which is what Harvey's Vistel Cream is and, and those sweet cherries. And that's an aged sherry that's just a little bit richer on the palate. Fino and Amontillado are quite dry. Oloroso is a lot more uh, viscous on the palate um, and, and can be interesting. And you can get dry Olorosos and you can get sweet ones. But it's, people, it's the dry ones that I would encourage people to try because they're rarer and they're, they are more difficult to find. But when you taste them for the first time, um, I, I honestly think people would be hooked. And they should try them chilled you say it i think chilled works best yeah now some of the, the sweeter styles you can serve a little bit uh, the, the more aromatic styles you can serve a little uh, richer you know not not quite warm by room temperature but i think very few wines are benefit from being served at 20 degrees in this kind of temperature anyway so if people are having uh, red wine with their barbecue i'd stick it in the fridge to get it down to about 14 15 degrees anyway and as for sherry i think it should be served around 10 to 12 um, that's my personal view some might prefer to serve some of the richer styles um 
warmer than that, but I actually think pretty much from the fridge, which is, which is your standard four or five degrees. And certainly for dry styles like Fino, and Manzanilla is the other style I wanted to mention, and you'll come across that on the same shelf usually as the Fino, and that's not from Jerez, but from the other town that I mentioned, San Lucar. Um, and that has a slightly salty character, because San Lucar is by the sea, and the wine seems to take on some of the salt from the sea, and it's ageing, because um, I say it's aged for the same length of time, for the five years. Does this all sound too complicated? Am I making it too complicated? I mean, I don't think it's complicated, but I think there's a lot more to it than people would actually realise that there are all those different varieties there in the same way as you get lots of different varieties of red wine and white wine. When it comes to serving it then, you're not drinking it in the same measure as you would a glass of wine because it is stronger. Um, yeah, you probably would drink a little less, but I mean, I mean, it's only fifteen percent, and that is not that uncommon uh, a percentage to find in your average bottle of Argentinian Malbec. I've seen Argentinian Malbecs at sixteen percent. I've seen California Pinot Noir, even, which is a wine that should never be served this alcoholic or be made into this alcoholic way. I've seen it at sixteen and a half percent. So, you know, sherry is actually generally pretty much the same strength as, as other wine um, in the drier styles, certainly. Um, but look, here's here's one tip, right? So fish and chips, we all love fish and chips. A bottle of Tio Pepe or any fina that you can find, Tio Pepe I mentioned just because it's the easiest one to find, and served with fish and chips is outstanding. And can I just say one more thing as well about, about Tio Pepe uh, in particular, because it's, it's currently, uh, it's on Rama releases available, which is its raw version. Every year they release a small quantity of bottles unfiltered, which has a lot more character and flavour. And it, you know, that's hard to find, but uh, anyone who's going to West Cork this year, uh, Manning's in Ballylicky, they have it, uh, they're pouring it by the glass at the moment, um, and they're going to keep doing that until they run out, which they reckon will be uh, sometime at the end of July, because they reckon they have enough to keep them going until July. Okay, well, Leslie, your message then is give Sherry a chance. Absolutely. And you might be pleasantly surprised. And if any of the listeners do give it a go, be sure to get in touch with me and let me know how they get on. Do you have a website, Leslie, that we can direct people uh, to? No, I don't. I don't. Um, I write for the Irish Examiner every every Saturday, so uh, you can find all my columns there. If you just go into the Examiner website and search wine, you'll they'll all come up. So I've been writing there for four or five years now, so you'll you'll find lots there. I have a Twitter account, Leslie uh, Leslie's Wine Food, um, um, but the Examiner's website is probably the best place to find uh, to find stuff on me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time this evening and I'm sure we will talk again soon. I'm sure we will. All right. Take care. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, before the break, Leslie Williams was highlighting the attributes of sherry and encouraging us all to give it a try. What I'm going to do the next time I'm out for dinner is I'm going to ask the restaurant to give me a recommendation and I'll give it a try for a pre-dinner drink. If you do that, let me know how you get on. s.noonan at live.ie And just before Leslie, at the start of the show, Chef Vincenzo and his daughter Alana were here with a veritable Italian feast for me to enjoy. My husband will be delighted whenever I take what's left home this evening. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows. And you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Still to come tonight, I'll be putting a call into Johnny Lynch, who owns the only herd of milking buffalo in Ireland. Before that, it's time to congratulate Barbara Collins on the success of her Taste of Ulster restaurant guide, which won first place in its category at the World Gourmand Cookbook Awards in China. And Barbara is on the line now. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Barbara, congratulations on your recent success. Thanks so much. I'm delighted about it. But I have to say it is a team effort. It's the Food and I Taste of Ulster team. We've all worked together on these little guidebooks now for the past, I suppose, four years since we relaunched them. Um, I suggested that we slim it down and make it more of a passport size and worked on the redesign and I actually write all the content but then obviously the content goes on the website and we have all our social media stuff so although I write it, uh, very much a team effort. It is the perfect size for a book to go in the handbag or the glove box of the car. Absolutely, I mean and that is really important because we kind of dithered about it a bit and thought do we need it to be like slightly bigger, longer, whatever, more of a brochure 
Um, but people do really like to have something physical to look at. I mean, there is always room for, you know, websites and apps and things. But I think physical books, people still love them. And they're like a nice little souvenir to bring home as well. It's the most lifted book in Connolly Station, apparently. There's one of them in every hotel, B&B, um, other accommodation in Northern Ireland because there's a, an agreement with the tourist board. I mean, they are all over the place. I think the last print run, last year's print run was 60,000, something like that, you know, which is massive for a little free book. And, yeah, and it is a free book. I think it's very important to highlight that it is free. Yes. But it's a very substantial book. How many pages are in it? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think probably well over 300 at this stage. We have new members joining every week. Basically, Taste of Ulster Food NI is a not-for-profit organisation which showcases the best of Northern Ireland food and drinks. So there are small membership fees. We run events, and then there are various sort of grants and things. But it's all about ploughing that back into marketing. So Balmoral Show would be a big thing that we do um, but yeah, the, the Taste of Ulster Guide, which won the award, is like the restaurant arm of it. And then the Food NI arm of the organization is the producers. So we say it's the people who grow and rear and make our produce and then the people who serve it. So there are now two guides. We started doing the producer guide about two years ago, and it started off as a fairly slim little volume, maybe 80 to 100 pages. And that's now almost as thick as the restaurant guide because we've got people like, you know, Abernessy Butter, who, you know, Heston Blumenthal buys their butter for the fat duck. We have Peter Hannan and his meats. We have goat producers from the North Coast. We've got Dale Farm. We've got Moy Park. We've got Tamna Foods who are making the most amazing cheese in the Sparrows. You know, it's everyone from the one-man band right up to the biggest employer in Northern Ireland. It's a very useful tool for people that are travelling to Northern Ireland to have because the restaurants are listed in it, but also some of the producers that you're talking about there actually welcome visitors. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the likes of um, Hannon Meats, I think, is a fantastic place to go if you're on holiday in the north because it's just this brilliant treasure trove of obviously fantastic meat. But Peter is great at you know, helping people along or just starting out in business. So there's a, a, actually two housewives from Moira, the same village. He met them on holiday in Portugal and they have this preserving company. They call it Preserving Vegetables and Their Sanity because they have kids and they just like to do something creative. So he stocks their stuff. And then I met a fantastic new member at Balmoral Show. They're called Neary Nogs. And they do the first bean-to-bar chocolate in South Armagh. And they were letting me sniff the cacao pods as they were kind of fermenting. They almost smell like vinegar. And then, you know, this alchemy happens and it turns into this wonderful creamy chocolate. And I think they have about eight children. And this is a way for them to have their family, you know, work at home and do something really yummy. So Peter stocks them as well. So that's that's a brilliant place to go. But yeah, like up on the North Coast, for example, um, one of our members is Time & Co in Ballycastle and they're a gluten-free bakery and the, the bakery did, the, the cafe was the first part of the business but the, the gluten-free bakes did so well there that they had to um, open up a bakery next door and that's also where Brogammon Farm is. Now they have the goat kid meat, I don't know if anyone's doing it down Limerick Way where the kids, the, the male kids are reared for cabrito meat instead of being killed at birth because they're coming from dairy herds and they also harvest seaweed and put that into their rolls for their street food. They have veal and they're going to, they've got a, a shop there now which they're nearly finished with in a visitor centre. Another brilliant place to go but there are loads and loads. Brockgammon would be familiar to some of the listeners that have been to Ballymaloo Lit Fest because they've Absolutely. been there for the past couple of years with their Billy Burger. Their Billy Burger and their Cabrito Burrito, they're the most hilarious family, the Coles. They're from that neck of the woods. Um, but Charlie started off the business, and when I met him up at the farm, he was wearing um, a pair of wellies every day until they wore out. And it had been about 13 months at that stage. And his girlfriend, now fiance, was just like, please, will the wellies ever go? And Sandy had told me that he got into burritos when he was at Trinity, and he worked uh, for a week in a burrito bar, and he got paid in burritos just to learn how to make them. And that's one of their signature kind of street food offerings now. But my favourite one, I don't know if you tried it at Ballymaloo, uh, the slow gin jelly with venison loin in a panini with a little bit of mayonnaise, which sounds funny, and rocket 
amazing. It Love sounds it. fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Or they're a great family, great fun all together. A massive foodie, very eco-friendly as well. There never has been a better time really to visit Northern Ireland whenever it comes to food. And it's something that you're going to be celebrating next year because the government has officially given 2016 the title of the Northern Ireland Year of Food. Yes, I mean, it's really important for us because I kind of think we've been banging on a long time now about how Northern Ireland's food scene is finally coming of age. I mean, I think personally that the troubles meant that everything was stagnated because there was just too much going on. And the only kind of food that we ate, I remember, I mean, there were a lot of, lots, lots of coleslaw with everything. We discovered sweet chilli sauce somewhere along the way, but... You know, the only kind of ethnic food we had was Chinese and Indian because they were kind of left alone. And that, otherwise, it was fairly bland, fairly... And restaurants were afraid to open. There was the donut effect, as they call it, in Belfast City Centre, where what was the point of opening a restaurant in the city centre, which was like a ghost town at night? Nick Price did it with Nick's warehouse, but he went out in the limb and it paid off, but he's now sort of sold up in the last couple of years. But Belfast now, in terms of restaurants, choices you have probably 10 really really good ones as opposed to what used to be just Ross Cost possibly Paul Rankin and one of those really really good ones we have to say is Ox oh fabulous isn't it amazing one of my favorite places to eat and I'm so proud that it's in Belfast the whole experience is amazing I actually brought the Guild of Food Writers up um, in January for our Christmas trip which we always do after Christmas and Ox was where we went and they just put on a massive, massive um, spread for us. Really good. And then next door, they have Ox Cav now, the, the wine cellar, which is a lovely space because not only is Stephen Toman totally gifted as a chef, but Alan, the sommelier, is amazing. I mean, they're just a brilliant double act and it is it's going from strength to strength. It really is fantastic. As a food writer yourself, it must be great to have all these wonderful places to talk about and to write about. It is fantastic and you know I've always 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 loved my food and I my background is BBC News and Current Affairs where I've worked for 16 years and I remember in 2003 trying to convince the food program from Radio 4 to come over and just see how Northern Ireland food was you know maturing as I put it and we have St George's Market in the city centre where that was the beginnings of uh, having it as a farmer's market an artisan food market and it took me a year, and they came over in '04. And at that stage, um, you know, Northern Ireland was beginning to be talked about. But they came back last year, and Sheila Dillon, the presenter, said that in the, the decades difference was just unbelievable. You know, 500% growth. When you talk about ox there and how wonderful ox is, I'm sure people often ask you for recommendations of where to go. Yeah. How do you how do you shortlist it? See, I don't know if you're like me. I'm always really reluctant because consistency is always the problem, isn't it? Because you can have a really good meal and then somebody goes and it either wasn't their thing or it was a good restaurant having a bad night. Um, And I also think that when you eat out, so much of it has to do with people you're with and, and the mood you're in and the whole experience. The food is a part of it, but... Where would I say that I consistently like in Belfast? I love Grays in Ballyhackamore, which is now christened Ballysnackamore <laughs> in East Belfast, and lots of cool places there now. It's very small, and the portions are really, really hearty. It's kind of, you know, that soul food that just comforts you, you know, fantastic steak, gorgeous salad, really, really good wine list, small but good, craft cider Smarma, my home county. Um, brilliant value uh, yeah Gray's is brilliant um, and it won uh, best casual dining in Ulster at did, the, the did, recent did, restaurant awards deser- deservedly so around uh, the corner from the BBC is Dean's Deli which is one of Michael Dean's places I mean I do like going to Love Fish as well but if I just want to go and sit and have a nice coffee and something light I really like it the coffee is from Ristretto which is my favourite although Ponner in Limerick is absolutely wonderful have to give that a shout out to um, and it's around the corner from work and it's consistently good. I like Home, which is um, part of the Morn Seafood Group. And uh, again, like last night I was there actually and I had just a superfood salad with chicken and a really nice ginger and apple dressing. Very simple, but very, very good. East Belfast is becoming somewhere that 
really worth taking the trip out from the city centre and checking out Oliver's Coffee Bar. Um, I don't know if you know Stephen Chisholm from the Great British Bake Off. He was the 2013 champion. He bakes out there now. Really, really good. Ormer Road, which is my neck of the woods. We have Soul Food Cafe. We have Shed. We have Macau, which is the best Chinese. We have a fabulous off-license, the Vineyard. We've got a great pub, the Arago. I could go on and on. I just what about L'Etoile there on the Ormo Road? Is it still going? It's still going. And I, do you know what fascinates me? Because it's one of those places where the coffee is, you know, still filter, if that. The menu never changes. They have the frog's legs and the kind of pork and mustard sauce. Personally, I don't like it. I'd say but the net curtains goes. haven't changed either, Barbara. No, they haven't. I doubt they've been washed since. Sorry. <laughs> I took. I never advertise and they seem to be full. They're still there. They're doing something right. I took my husband there on before he was my husband on our first uh-huh. date in the north. So it holds a great deal of sentimental value for me. Well, Maybe no, not so much for him, though. No, no, no. But, you know, it's funny, sentimental. I got engaged up the road about six or seven doors up the road in another place. And, um, yeah, it's funny. As a, but isn't it true? I mean, it's about the company you keep as well and the kind of the night and what happened on the night and the conversation. That's always important as well. I mean, you have a soft spot for it now, don't you? Absolutely, yes. So in yeah. saying that now, it's a, it's a very long time since I've been back there because there are so many other new places to try and my time is obviously limited whenever I'm up in Belfast. I know, and you're trying to kind of go to the best um as well as that, I mean, I've always liked Shoe on the Lisburn Road. I think Brian McCann, you know, consistently pulls it out of the bag. Um, and then when I'm trying to be, you know, healthy, I'd like Slim's Healthy Kitchen, which you might have heard of, um, you know, the lettuce burgers and aubergine wraps instead of bread. Um, very nice frozen yogurt. It started on the Lisburn Road and now he's opened down the town. That's good when I'm feeling virtuous. So um, there's yeah. amazing choice there for for people to to choose from if they're going up to that neck of the woods. Where can they get hold of the book if they're looking for it? Where's the best place for them to go to get it? Okay, well, if you're in and around any of the tourist welcome centres, it should be there. It's in ferry terminals, it's in airports, it's um, as I say in every hotel, B and B all of our members and it's online as well as a website so if you want if you for example are going to Tyrone um, and you just go to the nigoodfood.com and click in Tyrone it'll tell you all the members who are there um, you know I was mentioning Tamna Foods from the Sparrows um, who beetroot pickle and granola are sold in Harrods um, buyer Bruce Langlands come over last November an event organised by Invest NI for all the great taste award winners and he just absolutely loved what they did and they do some cheeses they do a Sparrow's Blue they do a Banaher Bold I think it's called which is coming out soon which is a, a, a cheese that's washed in dairy craft beer and then they have another Tirkiran one that's about five anyway but you know they alone have doubled the number of cheeses that are being made in Northern Ireland at the moment. Have you heard of Young Buck? I have indeed and had the pleasure of tasting it. That's good stuff, isn't it? It is, absolutely, yeah. And he started off in Arcadia Deli, which is another great little place to go if you're up the north and you want to go somewhere to buy some bits to take back that you probably wouldn't get anywhere else. It's on the Lisburn Road as well, as is um, a five-star place called Sapphire, which I keep meaning to try because I'm intrigued by their potato bread espuma with their fry. Might be a bridge too far, but, you know, I like people who try something a bit different. Well, congratulations again on the book. It is a fabulous little number for everybody to have in their handbag. And uh, you must keep us informed with all the plans for the 2016 Year of Food. Absolutely. There will be lots and lots of themed events running through the whole year. And with the book, actually, we're off to Frankfurt in October for the book fair, the World Cookbook Awards book fair. So lots more networking to be done and spreading the word. So it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks so much, Barbara. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Barbara Collins about her award-winning Taste of Ulster guide. Earlier in the programme, Chef Vincenzo was here with his daughter Alana and some wonderful Italian cuisine and food and wine writer Leslie Williams was on the phone talking about sherry. 
Now it's time for my last guest of the evening and I was expecting to talk to Johnny Lynch who is the proud owner of the only milking herd of buffalo in Ireland but he's actually out milking them at the moment so I'm going to talk instead to his colleague Lena Racine. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Lena, the only milking herd of buffalo in Ireland so they must be a very special herd. Yes, yeah, they arrived from Italy in 2009. So Johnny imported about 29 or 30 buffalo in 2009. And the herd has been growing ever since. And now we have over 150 animals um, with about 60 milking buffalo and the rest then calves and um, buffalo for meat. Looking after a herd of milking buffalo, is it much the same as looking after a herd of dairy cows or is there a difference in it? Um, it's quite similar. So it's similar. You milk them twice a day. Um, we did have to put in some reinforcements in the milking parlour as they're much bigger animals than regular cows. So that would be the only difference there. Now, their yield would be much less than um, your typical Frisian cow. So you're talking about... 10 litres milk a day roughly compared to about 27 litres for a Frisian cow so the yield would be much less but you get a higher return from the milk so you get a lot more cheese from the buffalo milk than you would from a Frisian uh, cow. And is it specifically for buffalo mozzarella that Johnny got the the herd? Yeah so yeah he was uh, he came up with the the idea in 2009 to import some buffaloes and to do something a bit differently uh, he wasn't happy with the price of milk that he was getting at the time for his cow's milk and he decided to, to do something different and the idea of making mozzarella uh, came about. So uh, mozzarella is the main, the main cheese we do but we also do um, a ricotta, so buffalo ricotta and a halloumi and feta which also sell quite well. And they're all made from the milk from the buffaloes? All made from buffalo milk which are the buffaloes that are milked here in Kilnamartra. So tell me then how it all works. Buffalo are milked and what's the next stage in turning that into the cheese? So the buffalo are milked about five o'clock in the morning. So the milk comes straight from the parlour um, in, with it, in through a tank and it's brought into the cheese room at about 6am. And our, our cheesemaker, Sean Ferry, who has about 30 years experience in cheese making, will be there then to take the milk. And then... He will turn it into cheese by about 1pm that day. So it's as fresh as, it, as you get. And when you say it's turned into cheese, is it just the mozzarella or into the feta, the halloumi and the ricotta as well? So most days it would be mozzarella, but then the odd day he would do a batch of halloumi or feta. So a rec- the ricotta is a byproduct of the mozzarella. So he makes that every day with the mozzarella and then the halloumi and feta would be... Um, once every now and again. So there's very little waste then, if any at all? Very little waste, yeah. The whey is turned into ricotta, so what you're left with then after that is a a very low uh, concentrated waste, so there's very little waste, yeah. The mozzarella then, you say, it's there by lunchtime that day and it's as fresh as you can possibly get. In Rome, I know my parents were in Rome a few years ago and did a food tour and they met somebody that made mozzarella and they said they, they wouldn't dream of eating it whenever it's more than a few days old, that you must eat it whenever it is as fresh as it, as it possibly can be. Yes, that, that would be the, the Italian's um, idea because that would have been the history there. But we, we've done shelf life testing on our mozzarella and we've gotten up to 28 days on it. So we, we have a 21 day uh, shelf life. Um, we find that it doesn't affect the taste. It's, obviously, it's, it's beautiful that same day that when it just is made, but it, it doesn't deteriorate in taste over, over the following two or three weeks. And we package it in the, in the brine in a vacuum-packed bag, so it's kind of in its own airtight um, space, so it's, it's, it lives very well inside in the brine for the, the following three weeks then. The ideal way to serve it, is it just with the, the basil and the lovely tomatoes? Yeah, the typical caprese salad is the best way, just simple. You get the best taste from the mozzarella then. So some nice fresh Irish tomatoes, some basil, a sprinkling of balsamic vinegar and olive oil, a bit of black pepper. And you don't really need to do much more with it. (laughs) But you can do if you want to do. Of 
course, yeah. On our Facebook page, you'll find loads of recipes. Um, we put up a lovely recipe by Nevin McGuire with cake, um, tomatoes, and melted mozzarella, which is beautiful. Um, I've done a baked ricotta cheesecake with raspberries as well. Um, ricotta is just lovely for making desserts, and it comes out really well with that bitter raspberry taste. Um, so plenty of recipes on the Facebook page if anyone's looking for inspiration. And there's also some pictures of the buffaloes themselves on the, the Facebook page. And there's a lovely one there. I presume it's Johnny Lynch scratching underneath the chin of one of them. Yes, they're quite placid, very placid animals. Um, now, he he would say you wouldn't want to go into the field in the middle of them if you didn't know them. But he they're very friendly. And as soon as you go up to the, to the ditch, they'll come and say hello. And they're very curious animals. Um, much more so than cows would be. Cows would be very sceptical and, and quite afraid of humans, but buffaloes are, are more curious. Um, he has a couple of funny stories about when they came first and how they were afraid of the grass because they, they came from Italy where they would have been used to being grain-fed and kept in sheds. So when they came to Ireland and saw the green grass, they were afraid to step out of the, out of the truck onto the grass at the beginning, but they soon became used to it and they love the Irish climate now. And Johnny's lucky he's got most of his land along a river, so they absolutely love that. They're in their element in the water. If they're fed on grass here compared to on green in Italy, that must affect the flavour and enhance it. Enhance the flavour, yeah, definitely. Um, it adds, it adds a, lot, a lot more depth, definitely, to the cheese. I also noticed on the Facebook page that a brown calf was born. Whenever you're breeding the buffalo, do you prefer to have the female than the meal because it's adding to the the herd in terms of giving you more to milk. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose, of course, when you're in the dairy industry, uh, you would be preferring the females. But we're lucky enough this year, we've been about half and half, which is a good good return on female calves. And the, the buffalo bulls um, go on to Johnny Lynch's brother's farm and he farms them for meat. So we also have buffalo meat, macroon buffalo meat, which is being distributed by Fiolo Cristor, and uh, it goes into a lot of local restaurants here and is available in the English market as well. And the buffalo mozzarella and the other cheese products, where can people get hold of them? The mozzarella is available at markets um, throughout Ireland. Uh, We are also in Super Values and we're in Dunn Stores in County Cork. Um, Yeah, so local Super Values, if you're in Tipperary, would be the best place to find it. And you have a partnership with Palace Foods that's quite new. We do, yeah. That just came about. We actually only shipped our first order today to them. Um, Went out yesterday, so went in today to Palace. Um, So now it's available for all the restaurants, cafes and delis to order throughout the country as well. Fantastic. Well, Lena, thanks so much for talking to me today. Continued success with it. And if people want to find out more, the best place for them to go is to the Facebook page, which is McCroom Buffalo Mozzarella. McCroom Buffalo Mozzarella. And we have our new website, and that's McCroomBuffaloCheese.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much for talking to me tonight. No problem, Sharon. Thanks very much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much for your company and to all of tonight's guests, Vincenzo and Alana Del Santi, Leslie Williams, Barbara Collins and Lena Racine. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show if you missed any of the show tonight. Next week, Ron Forrestal is due back with his wine slot. So until then, sláinte and of course, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!